I gotta brush up on my English accent for this podcast. I gotta get myself in the right headspace. I gotta feel more depressed and alienated. Would you say you have to get yourself in the right radio headspace or just the right no. headspace? No. Oh. Let's not get carried away. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Music Maniacs hey. with Side After Dark. We're Side After Dark and we are Music Maniacs. Mm-hmm. Today, uh-huh. we this are. podcast mm-hmm. is about a band. A band. That continues to bake, break, bake boundaries, break boundaries, not only in music itself, in the music they create, yeah. but also in the music industry and yeah. the way that music is distributed and released. Absolutely. And I'm really excited to talk about them because they are one of the greatest bands, at least since the 70s. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there haven't been a lot of bands better than this since like the peak oh. of rock music. You know oh, what I, mean? I, I thought you were trying to say they're the best band since the 70s. And I was just like, who are you talking about today? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like since like peak, like if 70s are like peak rock and roll era, yeah. this is definitely one of the best bands to come out since then. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They've been tons, but yeah. And if you don't know yet, by probably the podcast title or probably the thumbnail. Then you better turn on your radio. And get your head on straight. <laughs> Because we are talking about the legendary Radiohead. Woo-hoo! We're going to be talking all about their history, all about all the things that make them great. Yeah. And if you're wondering why you should listen to us talk about music. Why? We are a band. We are. Out of Brooklyn, New York. Mm-hmm. We play shows all over New York City. We just finished our second off-Broadway show. Yes. We like to think we know a little bit about music. We've been playing it and studying it for a while. Just a wee bit. So we are going to talk about Radiohead, and we're really excited to do it. Let's do it. I said let's do it too many times, but yeah. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> you should say do it let's and then it'll be done. Do it let's Okay, so first of all, mm-hmm. this band started a lot earlier than I thought they did. Yeah. Because I always thought of them as a 90s band in my head. Yeah. Which makes sense because that's when, like, you know, the first album came out and stuff. Yeah. And I know that it takes, you know, a couple years for things to really, you know, get going as a band in any circumstance, really. Definitely for that sound. Def- definitely for that sound, but just in general, like, I just I just didn't realize how long they were together before they actually started getting a little success. Yeah. You know, so I always thought of them as a 90s band, but they actually formed in 1985. 85. They were all... Okay, so I guess we should start with the... I'll say the, the band members. Well, the band members of Radiohead were Tom York, uh, Colin and brother Johnny Greenwood. Greenwood. It was Philip Selway. And coming in, it's Ed O'Brien. O'Brien. Uh, hello to them. Shout out to you guys. We love you. Yes, we do. So all of these guys met in school mm-hmm. at the Abington School in yeah. Oxfordshire. Yeah. I think uh, Colin and Tom were at the same level, and then they had... Yes. Um, Ed and Phil were a year older. Right. And, and then, then Johnny was two years younger. A tiny little baby named Johnny was coming in. <laughs> little last. Johnny Greenwood. Oh, little Johnny Greenwood sounds awesome. <laughs> little Johnny Greenwood coming Holy in. Holy shit, does he play a guitar? Maybe. Ooh, Johnny Maybe he plays some other things, too. Johnny B. Green. Johnny, Johnny B. Green. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so they all met in school, which is crazy to me, because I didn't... So they must have been so they must have been literally like 14 15 yeah, when they definitely. met i didn't realize they were this young mm-hmm. that's cool but this is another reason it makes sense why they started so much longer before they started to get big because they were so young they were they were yeah. kids and at the end of this podcast this is going to make sense when we start talking about their longevity and why they're still in the business because there yeah. are some decisions that they made based off of them just all coming together at this point right, right they didn't right. put out ads or something like that it wasn't two that started you know yeah they were just friends they were all hanging out they used to practice in the music rehearsal room mm-hmm. on Fridays at their school. So when they came up with the name for the band, the original name, what? of course it's going to be On, on a, a Friday. Music room. Oh, oh. Wait, sorry. Oh, I meant to say On a Friday. It's going to be On a Friday <laughs> was, was what they originally were going up by. Yeah, that was the band's name. Um, uh, from what I heard, they... They kind of just picked their instruments so they can all be together. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like an ego thing. It was just like, okay, you do this. And then so if you're doing this, that means I should do this so we can like fill out the band, you know, the best way. Right. Which is really cool. Because again, you know, when you're this young, it's not really an ego thing. Yeah. They, they haven't really developed themselves so much as musicians yet. Yeah. Apparently, Johnny was always like super musical, like ever since he was a little kid. Yeah. And and what helps is like he and his brother were like kind of well-read. They did a lot of literature, literature study and stuff. So yeah. Starting out from like small fairy tales, of course, but getting into like 
theory and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and shit. That's the important part. Um, and I actually heard a quote from like uh, one of their like their music teachers. They were talking. He was talking about Tom, and he said Tom wasn't a great musician like Johnny, right. but he was always very experimental and like inquisitive. Yeah, yeah. And then Tom kind of emerged as the songwriter. They were all starting out writing the songs. Yes. And then it's just somehow got to tom being the guy well apparently this was something i just read literally today getting ready for this apparently tom knew from the age of like eight that he wanted to be a rock star after he saw brian may from queen yeah and he originally wanted to be a guitar player and he started writing songs but i guess eventually i don't really even know how he started falling into vocals actually i think it's the writing i mean i guess because he was he ended up being kind of the main songwriter so i mean they were all kind of writing at first but he eventually emerged as the main songwriter right and then i guess along with that you know you just kind of typically sing the words that you write Mm -hmm. and you know he is a fantastic singer but we'll talk about that more you Uh know as we go along yeah um so yeah so they all met they were originally called on a friday um at one point early in, on to the band, they had a saxophone section, <laughs> which I think is interesting. I would have liked to have heard what that sounded like. Yeah. But, you know, that's that's um, lost in the annals lost of time, yeah. as they say. Yeah. You can um, probably hear it somewhere. Probably. I don't know. I wonder, Abington School, is that, I wonder if that's like a rich, like, fancy school with, like, you know, recording equipment. You know what I mean? I, mean, I don't know anything about Oxfordshire or Abington. Yeah. From what I know, it's a uh, pretty middle class I don't know. I don't think it's like, you know, super rich. Yeah. You know, but you may have like a diplomat's kid in there or something like that. But oh. yeah, because middle class is so big, you know, you know what I mean? But it's getting smaller every day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. OK, so they, they they started the band in 85. Yeah. By 87, everybody but Johnny had left for university. Again, because yeah. Johnny's the younger one, so, right. you know, this kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, but they still kind of hung out. They were all still friends. They still would rehearse on, like, weekends and um, holidays and stuff like that. Yeah. But they were out, you know, they were in college. They were doing their own things. Like, Tom was in a different band. They were all kind of... They were still, like, keeping in touch, but they weren't really going hard as on a Friday. Right. You know what I mean? They were kind of doing their own thing. Yeah. So, uh, Tom, I wrote this down because I thought this was funny. The name of Tom's other band when he was in university at, what was it? The University of Exeter. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm even saying that right. Um, but he was playing songs that would become Radiohead songs with his band Headless Chickens. <laughs> Gotta love it. Uh-huh. Gotta love it. So, a few years later... In 91, they kind of all got back together. I yeah. guess I guess after. I don't think they all graduated, but they all went to school for a little while. Right. But they kind of all got back together about in 91, and they actually got a house together. Yeah. In Oxford. Shire. Shire. Mm-hmm. Is it the Shire? Or? I think it's related to the Shire. Mm-hmm. I think Frodo was his neighbor. We're just being silly, guys, but you guys have so much green over there. It's just like mesmerizing I'm sometimes. I'm like the hills and stuff, the far, the houses. Anything ending in Shire just sounds nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? So shout out to Oxfordshire. Maybe we'll go there one day. Mm-hmm. Guys, if you live in Oxfordshire, comment if you want Side After Dark to play uh-huh. a show in Oxfordshire. We'll change our name to Side After Darkshire. Side After Shire. Side After Shire. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, guys. And, and then the- <laughs> if that doesn't work, we're going to be on a Friday because nobody's ever taken that. And the title track from the uh, album will be Darkshire. <laughs> wow. Wow, deep. I always laugh at these kind of stories. So they're coming together and then they start um, making more music and they changed their name, right? They try to get into... Well, so, I mean, they were playing around for a while. Yeah. Like, and they were kind of building up a buzz. Yeah. And kind of, you know, getting no more around Oxfordshire. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and they actually did get some attention from labels. So actually, I have... I took notes, guys, because we take notes on this podcast now. We didn't used to do that, but it's actually way more informative this way. It's fun. Yeah. Colin happened to meet somebody from some record from EMI. So first, there was a guy. His name was Chris Hufford. He was the co-owner of Courtyard Studios. He saw them perform at a place called the Jericho Tavern. Yes, that was a big spot for a lot of indie musicians there. Yes. Yeah. So that was where they first got like noticed, I guess. Yeah. And Chris and his partner, listen to this guy's name, Bryce Edge, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which sounds like it should be a stage name. That's yeah. like the coolest name I ever heard. This guy's name is this guy's actual name is Bryce Edge. That's sick. <laughs> anyway, Bryce and Chris were partners at this studio. Right. And they kind of, because they had the studio, they produced the demo for Radiohead now on a Friday. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but actually, these guys still are their managers. 
Yeah. To this day, which I think is great. I'm gonna. They are gonna come into the longevity part, like towards I, the end. Yeah. Right? There's like, definitely more to like, say about you know about longevity that. about this, like all these people that we're saying. Yeah. Because these are the unsung heroes of Radiohead. Yeah. <laughs> they're pretty sung. They're pretty they're, well yeah. off right now, but yeah. you know maybe we they, can. They're make doing them, well. Yeah, we'll get you guys to pay attention and buy some more stuff from them, so they can do <laughs> even better. Pay what you want. <laughs> it takes a village. Um. Yeah, but I think it's really cool. You know, honestly, like of all the podcasts we've done, of all the different bands we've done. This might be the only band that's had the same lineup the entire time. Yeah. And this is going back to, like I said, they were in school. They were like 14, 15 years old. So, yeah. like, they're really, like, Radiohead, to me, it really seems like a family from the outside. Yeah. And and also, like, no deaths, you know, fingers yeah, crossed. Yeah. But, like, that's you know what I'm saying? Because yeah, yeah. some True. bands will keep the lineup. Like, you know, True. Zeppelin still has the lineup. But yeah, yeah. That's there's a, good a point. death. That's like, a good point. So, I mean, it's a combination of good fortune and good luck. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, which, I, is that really, is it the same thing? Good fortune and good luck? <laughs> Good, for- good vibes and good luck. Yeah, good vibes and good luck. So, okay, so then now this is what you were saying about EMI. Yeah. Um, so, so Colin just happened to meet an, EMI, an EMI rep, Keith Wozencraft. I got a lot of notes, guys. The name. I got a lot of notes. I like um, this name. Keith? Yeah, because it's going to hook into what I have to say next. Okay. <laughs> so, so Colin just happened to meet him. He was working at a record store, and he just happened to meet this guy. And just by meeting him... I guess he really liked them because they signed them to a six-album deal right then. Yeah. Yeah. So Mr. Wozencraft signs him to six to a six-album deal. But I want to say about radio's music leading up to here and why Mr. Wozencraft, Wozencraft probably liked them is because they had like a mathematical approach to their mm-hmm. music. So they purposely picked certain sounds and tones that would affect you in a certain way. They... They put their music together. It wasn't just strumming and jamming. Like they right. actually intellectualized about their music while they were there at that school. I would say the school environment probably, you know, honed in on that. It would definitely you know? make you a little more, you know, I guess inquisitive. Yeah, and also uh, structured. Mm-hmm. You know, because you're in the you, you just came out of class. You know what I'm saying? So you're right, still right. in the vibe. You know, it's like when you get out the doors, that's when you kind of break free. But you're like still inside. So it's like it probably yeah, had something to do point. with it. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't really think about that. True. Um, so so this is when they changed their name. Mm-hmm. So they were on a Friday, but after they got signed, EMI said, hey, you should, you should change your name. Mm-hmm. And they went with Radiohead. Yes. After a song by another band called Talking Heads. Mm. Which was also called Radiohead. But there was a space in between, okay? Radio yeah. space head. Exactly. It's a big it's not difference. not the same. That song goes Radiohead. And this is Radiohead. Yeah, okay, so no copyright infringement. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's very important. (laughs) So good for them. So they got away with that. Um, So the first EP they put out was called Drill. Yeah. And did not do very well. Didn't drill through. It did not drill through to the charts. (laughs) That's okay. Um, But, you know... It's their first release. They're still going. Mm-hmm. And they signed a six-album deal, so they have plenty of time to Chop, chop, boys. <laughs> Let's go. We got to get... I mean, and they're young, so it's like, what else do they have to do? Let's make this music. Like, yeah, I mean, you know I mean, well, that's the thing that's so crazy is, you know, they started... Again, they're probably... F- 14 15 when they all met Mm -hmm. so now they're signed they're probably still in their early 20s you know they're still very young when this is all happening Mm -hmm. um but they listed um oh god i'm gonna say this wrong paul kolderick and sean slade Mm -hmm. to record their first album who they had worked with some legendary american indie bands the pixies and dinosaur jr right so that's that's a good start for like absolutely an indie album absolutely yeah like you know what what else do you have to lose what else do they have to do but yeah. this, right? So. Yeah, for sure. So, they record a certain little song mm-hmm. by the name of Creep. I'm a creep. I'm a and this is the thing that's really interesting to me, because I, you know, I was born after this song came out. So to me, this was always just a big song. Yeah. I didn't realize that when they first put this song out, it went absolutely nowhere. Yeah, it mostly went absolutely nowhere globally, but I feel like Americans really liked it right away. Well, I mean, according to my research, <laughs> there was a few more steps. Yeah. So, okay, so I, I wrote, did not do well, <laughs> in caps. Um, Creep, this fun fact, was actually, at first, when they first put it out, it was blacklisted by BBC Radio 1 right. for being, quote, too depressing. Yes. <laughs> Which is really funny, but also I kind of get it, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it made me laugh. Um, so they fir- the first album, Pablo Honey, 
was released in 93. Yeah. What do you think that means? Pablo Honey? <laughs> I never, I never, I was like, what is this? I never knew, I never even had an idea what that meant. It's like they you're about to say Pablo? something to somebody. Pablo, Pablo Honey, can you? Honey. Yeah. You're a creep. <laughs> I want to I have a I have like a I have a quote from all of my favorite Radiohead albums. So, I have a quote from like their interviews at the time when these songs are out. Okay, cool. So, I got a creep quote. Ed O'Brien says that it sounds miserable, but it's actually a celebration of being a creep. Good for them. They're creeps and they're <laughs> proud. All right. Every all the creeps make some noise right now if you're sitting at home listening to this. Yeah. Um so okay, so they put out the song originally in 92. So it didn't become, it didn't really start getting popular elsewhere until 93. Yeah, like as soon as that, like, because I was in real time with that song. Mm. So as soon as that song was on the radio, it was good here in America. Like there was right. no, it didn't have to creep up. We didn't have to hear it a million times. Did you, did you do that on purpose? I did, I did, I did. <laughs> and if we ever do TLC, I'll talk about creeping up somewhere too. Oh. <laughs> but um, but there yeah. were a few more steps in between. Yeah. Um, so, so this is interesting. I had no idea about this at all. So apparently the first place where Creep became a hit was actually in Israel. And it was a DJ that, well, I wrote his name somewhere, Yoav Kutner. Uh-huh. Um, he was a big DJ in Tel Aviv, I guess. And he played it there and it became a national hit. And Tel Aviv is the first place where they played an international show. Listen, that's the kind of song you want to, like, where did he play that? I want to know where in the set did he play it. You can play it right in the middle, and you can play it right at the end of the set. And I, I feel like... Yeah, you couldn't play at the beginning. Yeah, because this is like a party. You know, I'm, I'm thinking Tel Aviv. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's just like this shit going on, right? <laughs> so, you know, you just put that song right in the middle of the mix, or you put that song right at the end when everybody's about to go. And then just bring everybody down. Hell yeah. I guess. I mean, a DJ could have a lot of fun with that song. Oh, yeah. Just, like, drop that in somewhere just where you're not expecting it. <laughs> Um, so it became big there and then it started, then it started catching fire a little bit. The first place apparently where it was played in like radio stations in America was San Francisco. Mm-hmm. This is, these are the notes that I have from very reputable sources on the <laughs> internet that, and you know what they say, the internet is always right. So let's just act like everything I'm saying now is facts. Like I know these guys personally. Mm-hmm. We got this quote from a box of rice aroni. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, so by the time they began their first North American tour in June of 93, so, like, halfway through the year, Creep was already being played on MTV, and it went up to, like, number two on the Modern Rock chart. Yeah. So by this time, it's big. But this is, like, a full year after it was released. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting. Like, and, I, and you know, I guess your perspective is, is makes sense because it's, like, you would only know it when it was getting big in America. Yeah. You wouldn't know it when they – if they put it out in the UK and it didn't get big, no, you wouldn't we don't, know of it. We don't yeah. know, and – at some points we don't really care like sometimes like <laughs> hell know, yeah say like, that shit louder yeah we're just like oh well it's big here we love it here and it's like you know it's it's one of those things too when you first hear the song maybe you heard a dj just put it on just to put it on not right. because it was the pick of the week or whatever right so you like that song but then by the time you start to get sick of hearing that song that's when it's huge like you know what i yeah, mean yeah, that's yeah. happened because then it's overplayed yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and i mean again i wasn't I wasn't around, but I feel like it probably was overplayed. I feel like it got absolutely huge, it right? It came I mean, on a lot. I never get sick of it, but I never get sick of Stairway to Heaven. Like, you know what I'm saying? I, ne- <laughs> I never skip this so song. So you're like, out of the equation. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, this song, it just, again, it's really interesting how this happens. Because it's really a slow burn. They put it out, and they were like, wow, this went nowhere. Their album wasn't really doing great at first either. Right. But then the song just slowly becomes bigger and bigger. Then all of a sudden, it's a worldwide hit. Yeah. And they are these are these are high school friends, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they have a worldwide hit, and they're like, "Yo, what the fuck? What the hell is happening here?" Right. They did not expect this. Yeah. I mean, at this now they're playing over. They played over 150 concerts in '93. Yeah. Because the, the label didn't expect them to so get so big, so they didn't really have like a a big tour planned. So they're just shuttling them back and forth between different continents. Like, yeah. oh, we got a show here, we got a show here, and that's that's a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And apparently. The band almost broke up. Yeah, yeah. This early. Mm-hmm. Because they were just so stressed about all the fame and the pressure. Yeah, they definitely did. I mean, but the album was a huge success, and uh, they took a tiny bit of time off between the other album. But, I mean, I mean, this album, it the single creep did really well, but the album itself was not, like, huge, huge, huge. Yeah. So. Well, it's interesting, because, um, yeah, so they... By the time they finished the tour, it had been over two years of them playing the songs from that album. Yeah. And I guess we should talk about the album a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it is 
It is really cool. It is very guitar driven. Yeah. It is very much a rock album. Yeah. Which I think is really interesting, not really necessarily by itself, but in comparison to their later work. Like this is this is a this is one hundred percent a rock album. Yeah. You cannot call it really anything else. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm a fan of this album. But um with like some songs on the album, you know, the the, the general consensus for them to like carry on to the next album, like what are they gonna do next? Was mm-hmm. like, okay, well, why should we keep listening to you guys? Because mm-hmm. you know, okay, you're we know a lot, we know everything about you now. You're like middle class kids that went to private school. You know, you didn't like really suffer that much. You know, externally. So the consensus was like, why should we listen to you, yeah. Tom York? What's so great and, about you? Quote unquote, whine and cry <laughs> about you know you know all these things you know kind of like not really important things that plague you so yeah. that's when they went back to the drawing board like tom really took that um personally there yeah. was a there was a specific critic that was actually kind of saying that too about him and his songwriting we won't mention the critic tom just for you okay because we love you because we love you but yeah so that's when he went back to the drawing board and that's when we got the band Yes. So the Benz was their second album. I love this album. This is a great album. I and love the album cover too. Yeah, it is. It is pretty sick. Um, but yeah, so they, there was a lot of tension because they felt like they had to follow up the success of Creep, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily a great formula for you know creativity and free flowing ideas. Correct. When you're thinking, oh, like everyone has this expectation of us, we need to do this. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting to see kind of how they went from there. Yeah. Um, because the Benz is definitely. It's still a guitar-oriented rock album, mm-hmm. but there's definitely a lot more depth to it. Yeah. And you can tell that they're starting to expand what it is that they do. Yeah. You know? Well, I, I would say with the the depth of it, um, I would say Philip's drumming is pretty interesting because Philip's drumming is kind of like soft, but he also plays um, off rhythms sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I would say that they were coming together as like a unit because now they have like artwork, you know, coming yeah. into it. And it's a very striking cover, the bends, you know, it's like somebody going for his breath. But they bring in an artist who becomes part of the Radiohead family, who becomes Indeed. like an unsung hero. So I want to talk, I want to shout out Stanley Donwood, who is the, what is it, resident artist for uh, Radiohead Basically. from then till now till now now. so uh he said he used to get his like artistic mileage from like mushrooms and cannabis but he said (laughs) but he doesn't really anymore but he says that he didn't really understand like music like he doesn't know how to tell a bass from a synth Mm. so what he had to do was actually paint while listening to radiohead and he said they are extremely visual and which they are they are yeah i didn't i never heard that that's really cool yeah so it's like just naturally whatever flew into his ears flew out through his fingers onto that canvas you know so so yeah, I'll keep talking about him as stuff goes along. But you know, with with albums like the Benz and stuff, they weren't allowed to erase stuff. They were only allowed to like add things on. Mm-hmm. So you know, Stanley was painting while Radiohead was recording, like downstairs. Like really, yeah, that's they, sick. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 like a whole thing. It's like really crazy. I'm gonna shout out the producer after, but the producer doesn't really come in. The main producer doesn't come into like uh, okay. Okay, yeah. PC, as somebody had called it. We died with <laughs> okay, laughter. <PC. laughs> it's okay, computer. That's um, yeah, that's the next album, but there's definitely a few more things I want to say. Yeah. Um, I do want to shout out High and Dry. Mm-hmm. On this album. I won't I, sing it. You'll you'll bring the... In. I don't need to sing these, guys. Dan will just cut in the, the audios, okay? There may be little clips of all these songs whenever we mention a song. <laughs> But I love that song. Uh huh. And that's it's really funny because I think I knew that song before I even realized that was a Radiohead song. Oh. I don't know if I just like heard it on the radio on the the radio. <laughs> <laughs> heard it on head. the head. Yeah. But I remember like as I'm doing research for this, I'm literally going through. I listened to like all almost all of their albums in sequence, and I was like, "That's a Radiohead song. I love that song." Mm-hmm. And um, I think you know even in this, I feel like they had a more like acoustic guitars yeah. in this album. I feel like they were starting like maybe like t- tiny little hints of keyboards. Yeah, but it's still very much guitar driven and still very much rock. Mm-hmm. Although people were kind of criticizing them at the time or, around the Benz and Pablo Honey, they were calling them Nirvana Light. Yeah, which is kind of a diss. Yeah, 
But yeah. clearly, this band has their own thing going on. Yeah, yeah, they truly do, which is cool. Um, so after they put out this album, they toured as the openers for R.E.M., mm-hmm. which were big influences on them. That's me in the corner. That's me in the spot. I'm going to get copyrighted. No. <laughs> <laughs> we got to stop. Or we'll get I'm literally guys. in the corner. What do you want for me? What's the problem? What's the problem? Mine goes, that's me in the corner. So I think I have a quote um, from Johnny Greenwood mm-hmm. about this album, which I think is a really interesting, like, um kind of window into their mindset at the time yes they said this is what johnny said i think the turning point came for us about nine or 12 months after the bends was released and it started making it into people's like list of polls for you know best albums of the year and stuff and he's this is this this part is what i thought was really mind-blowing he said that's when it started to feel like we made the right choice about being a band until that, they weren't even sure if they were doing the right. They weren't even sure if they should have kept being a band. Because you remember, like we said, like after Creep, they were like, oh, like they almost broke up. Right. So it wasn't even until after the second album, a year after the second album is out, that like critics are like, oh, actually, this album's pretty good. Where Johnny's like, hey, maybe this is, maybe we should be doing this. Yeah. And I just think that's really interesting because you, again, you could tell there really is not a lot of ego in this band. No. You know, they, he was like, I don't even know if we should really still be doing this after they've already had worldwide success. Yeah. I mean, Creep is a bigger song than most artists will ever have. It's interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's crazy what the mind can do to you. Right. You know, if you allow it. Um, one of my favorite songs, if not my favorite song on one of this on this album is uh Bulletproof. Bulletproof. Ed said that this is the only song he's ever played on where he was not allowed to hear the backing track. They were like, just make whooping noises for like three <laughs> minutes. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> right? <laughs> who can't who doesn't love that? <laughs> um, I have another note. So in ninety six they also opened for Alanis Morissette. Uh-huh. And um, who was this? Was this Thomas said this? I think it was Tom. He said he had a quote. They were talking about it. Um, He said it was silly money and gave us the chance to work out everything live. (laughs) Also, what's silly money? I want some. Is it like silly putty? So much money. It's just silly. Okay. It's just ridiculous. Does it laugh at you or do you laugh at it? Both. Okay. Well, you laugh at first. And then when you spend all the silly money, it's (laughs) laughing at you. But he said, so there was a strangely perverse kick of being these five guys in black um, scaring prepubescent American girls with our brand of dark music <laughs> because they're opening for Alanis Morissette. <laughs> Could you imagine you're like a teenager, you're going to see Alanis Morissette, and then Radiohead comes out, you're just like, what is going on? I mean, Alanis is kind of along that fabric herself. She is, but I feel like Radiohead is like, a little more intense as far as just like the depression aspect. Yeah, it's, you know yeah. what I mean. Like, Alanis's fans would get their uh, frustration out externally. Probably break like, some windows. <laughs> I feel like it's like Alanis is more angst. Yeah, where Radiohead is more sadness. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean. But so I just think I just I don't know. That's a funny picture in my head. <laughs> you know, hearing them say that. Um, so after that, they started working on their third album. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which, which was called sorry, what was what was it called again? Okay PC. <laughs> okay oh, computer. Yes. It was called Okay Computer. And they actually recorded it in a fifteenth century mansion. Mm-hmm. Um Saint Catherine's Court. Yes. Whatever the hell that is in England somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. This had a lot to do with Nigel Godrich. Yes. Shout out to Nigel, the producer. The producer. We're going to call him the producer. The producer extraordinaire. All right. Nigel, the producer, Godrich. Yes. You know, um, he felt like he didn't want to work. He thought that traditional studios were dumb and boring and stupid and ugly. No one needs. Who needs it? (laughs) So he wanted to get them out into a different space. And yes, thus they rented the mansion uh, uh, we love this guy, uh, Nigel Godrich, because he was very much influenced by Frank, the one and only Zappa, and Jimi Hendrix. Who can't love it? We're cousins. Who's not going to love it? <laughs> um, I think it's really interesting. So during this time, they said they were listening to a lot of Ennio Morricone, mm-hmm. who is most famous for like doing the scores for like spaghetti western films. Yes. Like those dun, old dun, Clint Eastwood. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. <laughs> and like Miles Davis. Ooh. Like that's what they were listening to at the time. What a nice blend. 
I know, right? My brain waves have gone on fire just from hearing <laughs> those words together. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I was reading that. I'm like, this is this is a good way to listen to some albums. Oh, oh and of course the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Of course. Who? Never never heard of them. Just the kidding. Beatles, I think, is Beatles. actually my bad. Mm-hmm. I think I said it wrong. Um, but yeah, so and it's really cool because this is when you can really tell. You know, when OK, OK Computers released in June 1997, and you listen to this album, and now you can really tell that they're expanding, and they're really making artistic statements in their music now. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying that the other albums weren't artistic statements, but, you know, it, it was clearly rock music, and their their spin on rock music. Yeah. With OK Computer, they're really starting to push the boundaries. Yeah, I mean, and... In a way, I'm just like, well, what else are they going to do? You know what I mean? It's like this is the music kind of pulling you into the pocket. Like you yes. have to progress. Yes, they had to progress. I mean, now they're the songs are getting longer. They're de- they're dealing with different instruments. They're dealing with different, you know, song structures, yeah. all, all this kind of stuff. Just super, just super intense creativity. Um, and I think I don't want to say this is for sure my favorite Radiohead song, but I want to shout out Karma Police. Because I didn't even re- I didn't think it was my favorite Radiohead song, but like I said, I listened to almost every Radiohead album leading up to this, and at the end of it, that was the song that was stuck in my head. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I just wanted to shout out that. Yeah. There's Another- a couple of faves from this album, and they got so many on this album. Like I know, you right? just, I mean, which one can you ignore? Like you know, you know, I got a quote from albums, but I mean, yeah, I'm gonna just keep on uh, piggybacking and kind of adding to what you're saying about yeah. like them just getting better, like yeah. not only progressing but growing. Yes. And I also want to say this now, just so I can put a clip of the song in it. Paranoid Android. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, there's so many on this album. Yeah, I just wanted to say that just because I knew it would be fun to edit it in later. Okay. Um, But yeah, it's just great. Um, And then also around this time, this is another really interesting fact. And this kind of goes along with them being groundbreaking as far as like the music industry is concerned around this time they became one of the first bands to have a website yeah which is crazy to hear now and i mean this is 97 so this is almost 30 years ago now yeah but like it's that's so wild like oh yeah we were one of the first bands to have a website it's like you can't be a band and not have a website uh-huh. now. like that's insane Very true. but they were one of the first people to be like oh this internet thing i think this could be good for us and they were right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But the sound is getting so much more mature. So you have like a collective um, gathering of not only the producer, but like um, their drummer, Phil, is starting to play like five, four, mm-hmm. six, eight. And he's playing acoustic drums with drum pads at the same time. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Nigel is telling him to slow down, not to play as fast as he's used to playing. Mm. You know, so this is all everybody contributing to the sound. And at this point with OK Computer, the critics were saying that Radiohead has kind of transformed alternative music, has mm-hmm. brought in so many other different levels to it. Absolutely. And I mean, we got to shout Johnny out because, you know, he started bringing in so many effects and so many layers to the music as well. Johnny Johnny Greenwood is definitely one of the most influential guitarists of the past couple decades mm-hmm. because, I mean, he's able to get sounds out of out of his guitar that are just insane yeah and just really create i love i like i love this word soundscapes yeah he really is able to make the guitar just kind of bend it to his will and just combine effects in a way that i feel like him and tom morello are probably the most innovative guitarists of the 90s very very innovative and yeah definitely soundscapes it's just i mean i used to call him the effects master like that's mm-hmm. just what it was it's just like who i mean it he had a way of intellectualizing his playing but also making his playing be something that you can feel i was gonna say yeah it is very brainy but there is also a lot of feel to it absolutely and i think that's something else i want to shout out about radiohead in general so i guess you know i don't really use this term but some people would call this period like they would call it art rock Mm -hmm. and i think that when you talk about that kind of thing it's easy for it to kind of come off as like pretentious. Yeah. But with Radiohead, it just never, it never does. No, and I mean, and you should, you should just listen to them talk. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So you can actually get the depth of who they are and stuff. For the OK Computer album, um, Stanley Donwood said he was just looking out a window and he just imagined himself being in a nuclear winter. 
I mean, because who doesn't? Who, who doesn't? doesn't? But there was so much going on in the news, I think, with um, what was formerly known as like a, a Yugoslavia. Um, right. So, you know, there was a lot going on in there, obviously very close to that country um, geographically. So, you know, he just imagined himself. So you can see, you know, the, the paintings. It's kind of very... Um, pointy and kind of mountainous icy kind of feeling so it does give you a digital feel you yeah. know and kind of like a yeah nuclear yes mm -hmm. um so they go on a world tour after the world tour tom was very depressed and the band almost broke up surprise uh -huh. um but it was for different reasons basically at this point because they had expanded so much of they had they kind of all had different ideas of where they wanted the band to go right and you know this is five different you know the one of the most important things about being in a band is being able to be on the same page mm -hmm. because you know you're all different individual people but you're all working together to make one cohesive thing yeah so when you have five different people with five different personalities five different motivations five different thought patterns sometimes it's really hard to keep everybody on track and all wanting to work together it's a lot of people that's why you gotta rule them with an iron fist if it's yeah. more than two yeah <laughs> two is fine <laughs> um even with two though like in certain many aspects just like how we work it's just like there's got to be someone that's just like okay well this one's just like a little bit here in this case and then this one you know what i'm saying yeah there's always a there's, there's always, always a give and a take yeah that's just how it's going to be unless unless you're literally a solo artist then no then no one you don't have to listen to anyone tell you anything i'm gonna take your shit but if you're in a band it's a collaborative process you know there's got to be compromises there's got to be a, a collective vision yeah you know what i mean yeah. so i guess at this point they kind of didn't know what the vision was going to be next yes but I think it worked out okay <laughs> because because mm -hmm. so so they recorded for the next 18 months which is a long time to be recording yeah and the, worth it definitely worth it mm -hmm. and the album well those sessions actually really became two albums but the first album to come out was kid a mm -hmm. released in october 2000 yep and this album debuted at number one yeah in america which is the only place that counts <laughs> <laughs> just kidding guys um and this is this is this is just a hilarious sentence to me i read this and i couldn't stop laughing i never thought that i would hear this sentence they were the first <laughs> first time by a uk band or act to go number one since the spice girls spice in 1996 Never in my life did I think I would hear Radiohead and Spice Girls in the same sentence. Yeah. But there you go. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. But um, I don't know. I found Kid A to be a very cool album. I think of like, I always think about the artwork, which was another one where it was kind of like a nuclear uh, vision kind of artwork feel mm -hmm. for uh, Mr. Donwood. But uh, whenever I look, I think about the albums, I think about the artwork and I'm, then I'm just like, oh, I love that album. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it just comes with it. The artwork, I feel. Got to get a shout out. Well, I got to, I mean, this to me. I feel like I'm not saying this is like their artistic peak mm -hmm. because they still make great. All of their albums are great. Mm -hmm. But listening to this album, it's just this is clearly this is this is art. I mean, this is <laughs> like I'm trying to just not sound like dumb, but like like this is like there's songs on this album. You wouldn't even you couldn't even call it rock music, really. I mean, there's just they're combining everything. I mean, even from the very the very first song, everything in its right place. It starts off just like super mellow, like super different. Like the drums are, are drum pads. It's not uh, acoustic drums. Like it just feels completely different yeah. from like everything that they've done before. And I feel like if you were around and you heard that album from the very beginning, you're like, wow, they're doing something different here. Oh, hell yeah. You know? um, yeah. For this one, my favorite song on this album is Idiotech. <laughs> So I really like this one. But so I had to find a quote, and but <laughs> it, <laughs> I just found some information that it contains a sample from Paul Lansky's "Mild and Lease." which Johnny found on a compilation LP from uh, 1974 Electronic Music Winners album. So Interesting. I'm like, go Johnny, digging in the crates. That's what they call it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I really like that one. Yeah. I mean, everything. I mean, again, this is. It, I, I I really love this album. I can't. It's hard for me to pick one, but I'm like, guys, if you have to pick one Radiohead album, I, this might be the one for me. <laughs> I really love this album, but it's really interesting to me because because it is so different than the other ones. Because even in with OK Computer, you know, they are expanding, they are adding new elements, but for the most part, it's still really guitar, drums, bass. Yeah. 
this is all kinds of instruments all over the place. They're mm-hmm. clearly doing way different stuff here. Yeah, okay. And the reaction was kind of split because of that. Because a lot of people were like, oh, well, this isn't the Radiohead that we know and love. It's but not then, your mama's Radiohead. <laughs> it's right? not your dad's Radiohead. <laughs> But then other people were like, this is amazing. This is art. Like it was, it was not, you know, universally acclaimed as much as like, I guess, okay. Computer was really. Yeah. From what I hear about the production for this album and going forward that Nigel used like a natural dry and over the top of a really compressed sound. Mm -hmm. And he also used something called LCR panning, which is like you either pan really hard to the left, how some songs begin and you kind of, all the instruments haven't come in yet, yeah. but it's like almost like, you know, Tom's almost done with his verse, you know what I mean? Oh, so when's it kind of coming? And then you pan hard either center or you pan hard to the right. right. So it treats each pan like a mono, st- like a mono oh, feed. Oh, like the whole track. Yeah. Oh, and for you guys that don't know, panning is like putting something in the left ear or the right ear right. or the center. Yeah, yeah. Right. And like it said that it's not really easy because it forces you to have to be really quick as a producer. Right. So they say that like they would never get albums done if it weren't for Nigel because he's Shout so out. fast you mean the producer the nigel the, the producer. producer he's so fast at it so that i mean because you know listening to radiohead and people like bjork she was like in hit in their era right like you're just like what are these sounds like they're affecting <laughs> you in so many different ways like exactly. sometimes physically like you know what i mean so you know it's good to like kind of read and see like well what did they do well and this kind of goes back to something you were saying before like kind of the analytical aspect of them i feel like they at this point especially in this album i don't i feel like they were just going off whatever the feeling was off of the sound yeah you know what i mean it's not just like oh i have a guitar let me see what i can make like this it's like no like i want to project a certain feeling yeah how can we make this happen yeah and they you know want to analyze I mean? the feeling because they have said that they like treating music like math yeah you know you know so which is a good thing i will call them sorcerers all right call them sorcerers, sorcerers if you of will. music there you go radiohead so I have a quote as well. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, the, uh, so this is Tom talking about how the, the critical reception was kind of mixed. He said, I was really amazed at how badly Kid A was being viewed because the music is not that hard to grasp. <laughs> We're not trying to be difficult. We're actually trying to communicate. But somewhere along the line, we just uh, seem to piss off a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. You know, because Tom sings so... Uh in a way that makes you feel like he's depressed, but he's also has said that a lot of the, their songs are funny and they yeah. can't believe people would even take some of their songs seriously, but yeah. it's the manner in which they sing them and the music that accompanies them that will make you right. feel like, okay, well this is, it's time to be sad. And then it's not, you're just not even listening to the words. Like, yeah. you know, I do want to take this time to all, to talk about Tom's voice because we haven't really done that before. Mm-hmm. What a unique voice. Nobody oh, yeah. sounds like him. No. Like there is, it does sound, you know, pretty sad, but he also has like this kind of soaring quality to it. Like sometimes yeah. his voice almost sounds like a synth in itself. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I mean, I guess, I'll, you know, there's obviously been examples cut throughout the podcast and I'll put some more, but... I don't know. Just like his his voice is just absolutely unmistakable. Mm-hmm. You know him from the first note. Yeah, I mean, and especially if the sound is going to come with him, like it's just yeah. like <laughs> it's just like no question. Absolutely. Yeah. So the next album they put out, Amnesiac, mm-hmm. was released in two thousand one, and it was actually recorded in the same sessions as Kid A, because again they recorded for eighteen months straight, yeah. so they had more than one album's worth. And they said that uh, the reason they didn't want to do a double album is because they thought it would just be too much. <laughs> they did, and honestly, I, I, I get agree. It. Yeah, I yeah. get it. You know, especially like listening to it now, like we can binge their albums now because here we are, you know, in the future from right. when they put it out. Right. But like at the time, it's like, yeah, put that album out, let them digest this, then hit them with some more. Don't just give them everything all at once because no. it would have been a little overwhelming. Yeah. And in that time period, I don't know. It was like to have more than a certain amount of songs was just like overkill. Yeah. Like, don't... Uh, big song on this one was Knives Out. I, want you to know. I liked I Might Be Wrong. Hmm? I said I liked I Might Be Wrong. I like that one. I'm just like going through my stuff where where I picked out like which were my favorites from the album because it's been a while. I was plugged into Radiohead. Well, I liked them when they first came out, but then it was a few years and I wasn't interested really. You know, I was happy. So (laughs) (laughs) good for you. 
Good for you. JK. But yeah, no, so I wasn't interested. But when I started getting back into singing, you know, as a lead singer, I was plugged in by like a producer. And I mean, since then, you know, I just I binged the albums then in like 2009, 2008. And I was Mm -hmm. just like, all right, let me because at that time they were like just coming out with an album. So Mm -hmm. it's like I was right in the pocket at the time. And I was like, let me just listen to everything. So when we do these podcasts, a lot of the times when we talk about these big bands, we get to a point where they've proven themselves and you just know that every time they put something out, it's going to be big and it's going to sell well. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, we're kind of getting into that point for with Radiohead. And I have to say, this out of everyone we've done, it probably took Radiohead the l- smallest number of albums to get to this point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because what, this is five albums? Mm-hmm. And by this, by five albums, they're like, they're already legends. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, everybody knows, like, when a Radiohead drops an album, you better listen to it. And they were almost out that EMI door. Yeah, they, hey, they signed a six-album deal, remember? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's funny. Uh-huh. I, I, good segue. Good segue. <laughs> so the next album uh, came out in June 2003, and it was Hail to the Thief. Uh-huh. Um, this was very much uh, influenced by, like, uh, the Bush administration and, like, their policies and yeah. things going on in the world. Yeah. Um, big song from this, 2 plus 2 equals 5. Two, two, makes- yeah, that was a great one. I love, I love the artwork. Who could not love the artwork on this one? This one, this was pretty cool. It's pretty sick. This is, this literally, it looks like, it's like, just like a crazy, like, collage. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it kind of was that, because this is that, back to that theory where uh, Nigel and um, Tom agreed that they would stop, they would not take things out, don't undo anything, because they started using computers now to, right. to do the artwork, and uh, don't take anything out, so they would kind of just had to add things on, kind of like a tattoo, you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, I can't afford to get this taken off, man, so I'm just going to have to change Radiohead, they make audio tattoos. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, so so that was the last album they put out with EMI. Yeah. And this is where we get into something really interesting because they start doing really some very cool things as far as taking charge of their own music mm-hmm. and like the way that they release music and the way that they promote music. Yeah. So after they finished that six album deal, mm-hmm. they did not sign to another label. Mm-mm. And I have another quote. Um... I believe this was from Tom. I didn't I didn't say who ah damn, I should have wrote down who this was, but I just have the quote. Okay. So it was one member of Radiohead said this, whoever it may have been. They said, I like the people at our record company, but the time is at hand when you have to ask why anyone needs one. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> and I'm here for it. Yeah. Um so so they went on a bit of a hiatus after that. Yeah. They did some different things, you know, they were spending time Solo with their family. Projects. Johnny was composing movie soundtracks. Yes, he was. Um, he did Body Song in 2004 and There Will Be Blood, a little mm-hmm. movie called There Will Be Blood, if you've ever, ever heard of it. Mm-hmm. Unknown actor. I don't know that guy. Daniel Day. <laughs> Daniel Day what? Louis? Mm-hmm. I think Louis? he's French. I think <laughs> yeah. he's French as well. Shout out to Daniel Day Lewis. He yells a lot. He must be French. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know French people yell? Yeah. <laughs> That's what we've heard. French people, if, you, if you're listening to this, yell at us under your screen right now. <laughs> Tell me how silly I am for saying these things about you. <laughs> um, Tom dropped his first solo album during this time, Eraser, in 2006. Yes, he did. So again, again they've, they've established themselves. Radiohead doesn't need to do anything. No, especially in this age. I mean, we're in the 2000s now. Yeah. You know? That's what, that's what I love about That's what I'm saying. Like, they're already at the point. They don't need to do anything. Mm-hmm. But when they want to do something, mm-hmm. then they'll do it. We don't even need to sell albums. Come over to the house, grab an album, have a beer, and chill. <laughs> that's what it was. I mean, basically. <laughs> so this is... So now we're getting to the point. This is the first thing that I, as an actual person at this time, remember. Because mm-hmm. I remember when their next album, In Rainbows, came out. Yeah. And I remember when they the whole big deal about it mm-hmm. is that they did they released it on their website and they said, pay what you want. Yeah. Which, again, you can only do if you've already been extremely successful. <laughs> it's true. But it's also super cool that they even did that in the first place. Yeah. They're like, like I said, they were like, we don't even really need a record label. They're really just disrupting the industry at this point. Yeah, and the album still does really, really well. <laughs> the album still does great because it's Radiohead. Yeah. And, well, that's the thing that's also funny. I remember I was in like seventh grade when this album came out and talking about album covers. Even though you could do it, you could download it for whatever, I actually saved my allowance. Oh. So I could buy the CD because I thought the album art was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just wanted to shout that out. Yeah, and yeah. this is just, I mean, it's just so cool to see them continually evolve musically and then 
intellectually. Yeah. Because like who would have who would think to do this? And I, exactly. And you know what's crazy about donation based things? It's like you can easily make as much or more money than you would if you were to set a price because you have so many people that'll be like, Oh my gosh, you touched my life so much. That's you true. deserve more than ten ninety nine or whatever, you know, three yeah, you yeah. know what I'm saying? I I mean, yeah, it happens. Yeah. Um I want to shout out Body Snatchers on this album. I really like that. Yeah. It's one of my favorite ones. Yeah. And then I think one of the biggest songs on it was Jigsaw Falling Into Place. I yeah. don't remember if it was a single or if it was just like a big song that people like. Just as you take my yeah, I remember. I like that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's just, I don't know. It's just so cool to me that they did that. To this day, I'm like, wow, that is just so wild. They're yeah. like, because this is, again, they're a worldwide band. So everybody knows about this. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're just so like, oh, like, like a, you know, they have a little bit of a following. Oh, let's try this new thing. Everybody knows when Radiohead is going to drop an album. Yep. Everybody in the entire world that listens to music saw what they were doing and was like, wow, we might be entering a new era here. It's part of their sorcery. It's okay. part of the sorcery. It's part of the sorcery. You got to do it. You're like, let's let's give something out to the people. Yeah. And make sure the people love us. <laughs> and then we'll cut off their heads and sing music right down them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right down do the it. radio heads. Well, I mean, like the, well, they work simultaneously, like the artists, the producers, everybody works together like a little village. So, um, not, uh, they believe like the music's like in, the art is encoded into the music. Uh, Stanley believes that and then Tom believes that they find their voice through the artwork mm. <laughs> which is crazy because you can easily you can go up to Stanley's studio so he's got all his paintings of like everything so you yeah. can just like walk in and just like think of a song but at the same time Stanley's hearing a song playing from downstairs and, and that's he's, like, influencing thinking, him <laughs> yeah it's yeah. like crazy it's just a feedback loop yeah an art 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 back loop art mm-hmm. feedback loop whatever mm-hmm. I don't have anything clever for that <laughs> uh <laughs> So they they continue to innovate musically. Mm-hmm. In 2011, they put out their eighth album, King of Limbs. Yes, love this one. So this is super interesting to me because this is like now they're extremely electronic and they're using like loops. They're using they're just not using traditional rock instruments like at all. No, no. <laughs> at this point, you know Johnny what I mean? sampling on every single level that you can find. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just really cool how they continue to do. Just not what you think they they're gonna do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I know I, I didn't say yeah. that in an eloquent way, but they completely give themselves over to the music. First of all, there's no real image for Radiohead. There's just artwork. That's First true. First of all, you know what I'm saying? They're not all dressed in the same colors, like you know, or whatever. There's no brand. R- exactly. Yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah, so they are the music. They are the art. You know, you're what you see when you think of Radiohead. Of course, you know you see them, but you also think of everything that comes with them. You think of the artwork. You think of the sounds. You know, it's not about oh, I want to dress like this because I want to look like Tom York. You know, if you want to do anything like Tom York, you're going to work to sing like him. Like, you know what I mean? Mm. You don't just want to do an image. So it's like they bring so much to right. creativity, to entertainment. It's, right. it's deeper than than an image. It's like you, they, they make you better as an artist. Like, if you want to be like them, you really have to, like, work to be like them. It's not <laughs> just a facade. Like, I don't yeah, just yeah, put yeah. on a bandana and walk down the street and people think I'm cool because I look like so-and-so. And smoke cigarettes. And, you know what yeah, I'm saying? yeah, yeah. 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 Right, because well, because that's the thing. It, I think maybe it does all go back to them meeting at like school, because it's all it's very intellectual. Yeah, like really everything that they do, there there is feeling to it. There is a lot of feeling to it. I'm not saying that's like cold, but there is so much thought and like so much so much brain power that goes into every decision that they make. Yeah, and they, I mean, and they literally say it, so it's not like they're hiding that from you. It's like, right. no, we purposely did this for your eardrums, okay? Right. And, uh, like, they asked Tom if he wanted to be famous, and it's just like, you know, I'm thinking hearing, I'm thinking hearing him say th- that to him. I'm here. hold on. They're asking Tom if he wants to be famous, and Tom is possibly going to answer with a yes or no Right. But he's like, well, it depends. Famous for what? He was like, you know, famous Mm. for being an asshole. No, but Ah. famous for doing something smart. Yes. Like, so it's like already he's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, there's levels to this shit. Yeah. It's just the type of thinkers that they are. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah, And I mean, that's it's just I don't know. They just continue to innovate. It's so crazy to me. They actually. So the rhythms in 
King of Limbs was were so crazy. They actually had to add another drummer to yes. live shows. Um, Clive Deemer, I believe, yeah. who, who used to play with Portishead. Yeah. Yeah. So like that. So That's a band. Portishead's great. Mm-hmm. Check out Portishead if you guys don't know him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just think it's so cool how you know they're now it's 2011. They've been a band for so long now. But they continue to innovate and continue to change their sound to the point where they might even have to add new people in. Mm-hmm. But it's still the same original band members and managers and artists in the whole time. Yeah. That is, I think that's a really beautiful thing because that is just not something that you see in music and just in business a lot. You know that's what I mean? True. It's true. And uh, outside of the work for the albums, they do see each other. They like each other's company. So when they right. have time off, it's not like, I can't wait to get away from this person. Right. They actually do hang out. Their families know each other. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty dope. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, any songs you want to shout out on this one specifically? On the King of Limbs. Codex is a good one on King of Limbs. Um, also, Lotus Flower's all right, but I like Morning Mr. Magpie. That one's good, too. You got Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so they're just continuing to be awesome. Uh, <laughs> they do a two thousand. Well, oh, I have this is actually kind of a sad note that I have. So, in June 2012, about an hour before a show, the roof of the place they were going to play at in Toronto collapsed and killed one of their drum techs and injured some of their road crew. Yeah. So that sucks. That does suck. Um, and apparently, but they were they were able to you know pull themselves together and finish the tour. Mm-hmm. And Tom said that was one of their greatest accomplishments, even finishing it, because they did not think that they were going to be able to go on after that. Yeah. yeah um. So yeah. that that's obviously very unfortunate. Yeah, that's pretty horrific. That's um. Perfect. And then after that, you know, they take some more time off because again, at this point, at the, they're basically the Larry Davids of rock music because they only put out a season or an album whenever the hell they want to. They don't have anything to prove to anyone. Oh, yeah. So after they put out King of Limbs, they take a few years off. They mess around. Tom puts out another solo album. Mm -hmm. I think Johnny scores some more movies. Yeah. And they eventually put out their ninth album, which as of now is their last album, Mm -hmm. A Moon-Shaped Pool. A Moon-Shaped Pool. Yeah, yeah. Tom had done some work while Adam's her piece. He was down with Flea. I mean, it was the whole MTV crew, pretty much, the 90s MTV crew. But Adam's for Peace um, was also a cool band. Um, I believe Nigel was in it, too, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, I, I just thought, like, how can he do more? You know what I mean? Because this is like, it doesn't sound like Radiohead, but mm-hmm. it... I don't it it is it's part of it and this band just seems to always like working to each other working with each other so uh about their like longevity a lot of things that make them stick together is that they share writing credits mm. on the album so it's just like it doesn't matter who wrote a little bit here or a little bit there um correct me if I'm wrong because I saw I've seen some people say no they think it's broken up like 40 20 20 20 20 but from what they say that who gets 40 is it Johnny <laughs> is it Colin <laughs> It's uh, it's me. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. That checks out. <laughs> they all get the twenty percent. No, but um, they share writing credits, so mm-hmm. that, that kind of keeps the band together. So no one's gonna like argue like, well, okay, well my song gets on it. It's more like a collective. Like, does this song work? Right. You know, so that's always a great thing. And that kind of goes back to the beginning too, when you were saying like they were only they were picking instruments yeah. based off what would be a complete band, not based off like, oh well, I want to be shredding guitar guy and I want to <laughs> hit the drums because I think it's cool. It's just like, oh no, this is what would fit best. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So even I feel like that. Wow, it is really interesting thinking how their beginning kind of could, and maybe this is all just in our head, just like intellectualizing it. But how maybe that really does how have else a lot. Do to we do relate with. to Radiohead? Yes, we have to think. They about said everything. not to cry about it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Write that down. But um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I have this like, look, my notes said they all literally started together, like you know. So it's like it's special because it's like that's a certain level of wisdom and maturity at a young age, right? That you bring into your adulthood, right? So they were already mentally set, and you know, and it's just like we say, it's rare in music, you know, for that lineup to stay and for there not to be, you know, an unfortunate death or something or something that hinders one from performing, like to take that into your adulthood, to be mm-hmm. mentally ready for it and to be mentally set. I mean, to be able to see the big picture is an amazing thing and is a rare thing for a child to envision. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. they're in school, they're children. Like, you know, so, and to take that all the way and to not fuck it up is like one of the greatest uh, achievements. So yeah, definitely rare. Especially after them becoming this successful 
and this known was never expected mm-hmm. or even they were never really even trying to be that mm-hmm. you know what i mean they all they were ever doing was just doing music they wanted to make and then just the world responded to it yeah. and they just continued to evolve they continued to change and i think their musical legacy is just as big as their legacy like i said in the industry of like they just they really didn't play the industry game like they they were signed and you know they you know you have a contract you got to fulfill it but then literally as soon as their contract was done we're like what do we need a record label for? We have a website. We were one of the first bands to have a website. We know how this internet thing works. Yeah. We can do this ourselves. If you want this music, get it from us. <laughs> Why do you have to go through somebody else? It's not the 60s anymore. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So I just think it's it's just I just think it's a beautiful thing how they've been able to innovate in so many different ways mm-hmm, and too. then like I said, stay together and that it's it's still the original five people from when they were in school. It's it's crazy to me. Along with the art and the production, which yeah. is crazy. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's like it's like definitely like a whole village. I would love and it's because like the producer has to grow with the band you know mm-hmm. what i mean how many times have we done a podcast where we're just like okay well they outgrew that producer they yeah. felt like they could do it themselves and stuff like that but you've got somebody that has the same vision as you and he's just a producer he doesn't have to be there that producer he was working with like paul mccartney yeah you know what i'm saying some really big 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 uh, and acts. At, at some point i think they did try to use a different producer and it didn't work yeah. i don't remember at some point a few albums in after they had used nigel a lot they were right. like oh we want to get some new blood in here try something out and yep. it just didn't work and they ended up going back with nigel and they're like yo you're a guy yeah and it really does it really does feel like a family when you when you talk about it like mm-hmm. all the, the managers the band members <laughs> the people making the art the producers they've all been in this together for a really long time now mm-hmm. you know so it's just beautiful thing yeah and obviously of course they make great music. Oh, yeah. But we wouldn't be here talking about them. Yeah, man. I would have totally ignored them if I wasn't plugged in. I would have heard some songs here and there, but I was purposely plugged into Radiohead. And I was like, you know what? I have been missing this in my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hell, yeah. Mm-hmm. So shout out to all the Radiohead fans out there. Shout out to anyone that may possibly be watching or listening. We hope you enjoyed it. We are Side After Dark. We are. We are Music Maniacs. <laughs> we love you. And we'll see you soon. <laughs>